Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, imagine with me this morning um, the story of a veteran missionary who served for a lot of years. And all of a sudden there begin to be questions about him by people who aren't out there with him, but people who are back home and other areas. And and they begin to question his commitment to the Lord and to the mission that God has given him. And they start saying things like this. Well, he's he's just the all show. You know, he, he only does those things that will make him look good and will, you know, raise his reputation and that he's not all that really committed to the Lord and to his mission. And so he is being asked to respond to these accusations. And so he responds by talking about the, uh, putting together sort of a resume of the price he has paid to carry out the mission the Lord has given him. So listen to his words. He says, I've worked very hard. I've been jailed often. I've been beaten up more times than I can count. And at death's door, time after time after time. I've been whipped five times, beaten with rods three times, and pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. I've experienced hard travel year in and year out. I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends and struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor Many a long and lonely night without sleep. Many a missed meal blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties that go along with the weight of this mission, sometimes it seems unbearable. But the Lord reminds me that it's worth it. And then he concludes, he says, the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are more hard times and even imprisonment ahead. But that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job that my master, the Lord Jesus, gave me of providing as many people as possible a genuine opportunity to experience a personal, growing, and overflowing relationship with the Lord by faithfully sharing the incredibly extravagant love of God found only in Christ Jesus. There's commitment, right? Devotion to the Lord and and to his mission. And I'm sure most of you probably recognize those words. They're a paraphrase of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he was facing these kinds of accusations and also when he talked to the leaders of the church at Ephesus about about what 
lay before him. And so we see this kind of devotion. God had given, right, the disciples, I mean, his followers, this commission, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teach them to observe all the commands I have given you. And so the apostle Paul had taken this to heart, deep down to heart. It had captured his mind and his thinking. God had given the great commission to the Apostle Paul, and he embraced it. Now, I think most of you are aware that God gave that same commission to us. He gave it to me individually as a Christian, and he's given it to you individually as a Christian, but he's also given it to us together as his church to carry out the great commission. And so what we want to do over the next weeks here is look in the scripture and see how did uh, the apostle Paul view this this, uh, mission that God had given him? How did the early church view this mission? Because we want to follow in their footsteps, both individually and as a church. And so we see that the Apostle Paul has three missionary journeys recorded. And and the first of them, uh, we see, as we look at this story, we we discover a framework for Christian missions. What what were they doing and how were they doing it? A second journey is about the spiritual nature of missions. We see that. And the third journey was about the enduring importance and impact of missions. And so we're going to focus in on these and see what is it that God wants us to do. And can I always encourage you that we, when we're talking about what does God want us to do, that is crucial. We need to think of us as us. But the fact, whenever we talk about us, that always includes uh, me. Right? It's us. And so we want to look at this, this idea of the mission, the mission that the God has given to the church, the mission that is also our mission, but the mission as well that is my mission, your mission. So let's talk about the first journey here, just a quick overview. The first journey, as we talked about, provides a framework for Christian missions, and in it we can see how we are to view this mission, how we are to do it, and how do we pursue it. In other words, there's a, what we read about the Apostle Paul, right? What he had to do to continue pursuing this mission. And so Chapter 13 is all we're going to look at today. But if I could just pick one word to tell you, this is what, what are we learning about this mission? Uh, and as we see it in chapter 13, and this is the word, it's go. Go, right? First word that Jesus said when he gave the commission was what? What? Go. I don't know if you're convinced. What did he say? Go, that's right. What does that mean? What does that mean to us as a church? What does that mean to a missionary? What does that mean to us as individual Christians? So let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13. Page 1269 in the Bible that's in the chairs there, and I really encourage you to, to follow along with this. So here's here's the very first thing that we see as as we look in chapter 13, and that's that missionaries are called by the Spirit and sent out by the church and the Spirit. 
Okay, the Holy, this Holy Spirit sends them out, but so does the church. The church cooperates with the Holy Spirit in this matter. So here we are in Acts chapter 13. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we will know and see as Paul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. And this journey begins. So who sent them out? The Holy Spirit. Who else sent them out? The church. They're both there. They both send uh, these people out. Now, it's interesting that, if, just a, an observation here, this is in the church at Antioch. This is not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the hotbed of Judaism, right? It was the central focus of, of the Jewish nation and the Jewish religion. And, and there were many, many people there who had come to Christ. But if you had to pick a flavor for that church, it was Jewish, Absolutely. Its leaders were apostles and, and people who were in, the, uh, in Jerusalem when all this went down. Okay? So very, very Jewish. And their understanding of, of what needed to happen in church was very much focused on that. Because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Right? And so they're there studying the scriptures and learning about this and figuring all that out. Uh, which is very good. We're trying to reach the Jews in the region. They were doing that. Eventually, the gospel made it to uh, Antioch. This is about 300 miles north of, of Israel, maybe north of Jerusalem. I'm not, I don't remember exactly. But it's in um, southeastern Turkey, modern Turkey, okay? Uh, so right up there near the border where the fighting is now going on, okay? Uh, but so it is not a Jewish-flavored church, although it is Jewish very much. There's a lot of Judaism there. We want to see who it is. Barnabas was from Cyrene. Cyrene is a city right in the northern part of Libya. Okay, so that's northern Africa. Uh, Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger, Nigeria, we get that name. So he was from Africa, probably black-skinned. Lucius of Cyrene, also from where Barnabas was. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, so he had grown up apparently within the, uh, the realm of power because Herod was one of the rulers, and he had grown up with him probably there in the Middle East. And then Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus is also a city in Turkey. Now, what I want you to see about this is that, that while the Judaism... There was a real tendency for the Jewish people to view that Jesus the Messiah was for them. And he was. But he was for the whole world. And because what did Jesus say? Go and make disciples of what? All the nations around the whole world. But they kind of got caught up in doing church stuff. And so God allowed persecution to come where they couldn't just hang out there and do it more. And they spread. And thankfully, as they went, the Christians shared the gospel. I mean, the believers, they shared the gospel. And it says when they got to Antioch, they started talking to not so much Jews, but to Gentiles. And that puts together a whole controversy that you can follow through the book of Acts. Uh, 
But so here they are, the Gentiles. And so God is preparing this church at Antioch to reach everybody who wasn't Jewish. Did they reach Jewish people? Sure they did. But he had plans for them that were way, way bigger than that. And so he calls. He, he somehow, we don't know how he did it, but we know as they were praying and fasting, they were devoted to the Lord, they're providing leadership in this church, that the Holy Spirit somehow or other lets them know, probably first through, through uh, Paul and Barnabas, what was going on in their lives, that God wants us to go. He wants us to, you know, we've reached the Jewish people, or the, the Gentiles here, but man, the whole rest of the world is Gentile, isn't it? There's a whole world that needs to do this. And so God puts in their heart and they see we need to go. The other leaders are in agreement with them in the church. And so they send them out in cooperation with the Holy Spirit who is sending them. We've had missionaries come out of here. We've had people God put in their hearts. And, and I could go try to go through a list of some of them, but one of them is sitting right over here. Our, our Amanda. Right? And so... That's an awesome thing. But so this is how missions work. And by missionary, let me say this, I try to describe. By missionary, I don't know what you think it means, but I want you to know this, that this is not given to missionaries. Who's this given to? We already said it. To me, to you, and to us as the church. Now, God also sends missionaries. He, sometimes he burdens people. He gives them a, a, a real sense of a need somewhere or just a calling. And, and to, so they are missionaries, typically somebody who is going to get up from where they are and leave and go someplace else to take the gospel. Usually it involves at least a different culture, you know, a different location. And they are counting on others to help them get there and to do this work that God has called them to do. So, are we all missionaries? We're all missionaries in the sense that we all have this great commission. We're not all missionaries in the sense of, wow, God has put it. I mean, maybe he has. Maybe if we all follow the call, none of us will be here next week. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. But God can and does call people okay, to serve him as missionaries. All right, the second thing that we're going to see here as we read through is that, that God's miracle-working power is available for the mission he's given the church. I mean, does God still have the power to work miracles? Yeah, okay, he does. And it's available for this mission. All right, so let's read here, starting in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. This is John Mark, who shows up again later in the story. Now, when they had gone through the island of Tupaphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, I mean, son of Jesus. And now, just, that was a very common name. Jesus was a very common name. It's like Joshua to them. But who was the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man? This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, 
oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so we see this miraculous power used. Isn't it interesting that the very first miracle we see as he begins this journey to carry out the mission is a miracle of shutting Satan's mouth, right? And this man wasn't Satan, but he was speaking against the Lord in the gospel. He was speaking for the enemy. And the very first miracle was shutting his mouth. Boy, there's a thought you might think about. If you have people in your life that you would like to see come to the Lord, and you just think that there's probably people around them that are working in opposition to that, ask God to shut their mouths. He just might do it. Okay? But so this power is available. And this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus, uh, as he was giving the commission in the Gospel of Mark, uh, said to this, and he says, and, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues, new languages. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And what Jesus was saying is that Here's how you're going to know that I'm there and that I'm working and that these people are speaking for God. Very much uh, for the Jewish people primarily. Because think about this. The Jews knew the Bible, didn't they? They knew the Old Testament scriptures. And along comes this message, and it, it sounds right, but they aren't really sure. Are, the, are these people speaking for God or not? And so what does God do? God works miracles. And the Jewish people go, this is from God. Now, miracles around the Gentiles, much less frequently, and sometimes with problems, as we'll see in chapter 14, okay? But what, my point is this, is that the miracle-working power of God is available to accomplish the mission that he's given us. And what do we need in order to accomplish the mission? And we have things we think we need, right, and may not, <laughs> We have things that we need and don't realize we need. That's possible too. But what I want you to say is that it, whatever is actually needed to do what God has given us to do, He is capable and willing and will provide in His way and His times. And He knows the best way to do that. But isn't it good to know? I mean, you hear this assignment. I've got to go out and make disciples. Oh, man. I'm, you're not on your own. The power of God is at work. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. We share the gospel. The power of God is very much at work. All right, so the next thing we see, we're talking about this framework for missions, is that the mission starts wherever the church is and then goes outward to the whole world. So typically when we think about missionaries, we think about missionaries, we are here in New England and the United States of America, and we send missionaries or help support missionaries that go where? Somewhere else, right? That's missions. But I want you to know, what about that church in Africa? Are they supposed to send missionaries? Yeah, they are. They start where they are, go out into the whole world. How about in Europe? 
Same thing. Asia. I mean. And so it starts where we are and goes out to the whole world. So let's, let's look here. Uh, just a few verses. And then we're going to jump forward. Verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, this is that John Mark, later just called Mark. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. So another town named Antioch. How many Springfields are there in the United States of America? A bunch, right? Okay. And so there was more than one Antioch, okay? Uh, so when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Because they start where the Jewish people are, the ones who would believe in the Old Testament scriptures that they could reason with about the Messiah. Verse 15, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And then he goes on down and and he recounts Jewish history and talks about the story of the Jewish people and God's promises to them. And eventually he comes over here to the next page. I mean, he didn't have a next page. Our next, my next page, maybe not even your next page. Verse 38. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, through Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So he's talking about the gospel, isn't he? How that every one of us have sinned and failed to to live the way God intends for us to and that separates from God and makes us guilty before God and makes us deserving of hell after this life is over. But how Jesus, the Son of God, God himself in human form, lives this perfect sinless life, dies on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. And, And we realize we can't fix this problem, right? But Jesus has provided a way. And that is if we will acknowledge that we are in need of a Savior because we've sinned against the Holy God and we will then place our faith in Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross and in his resurrection. The Bible says that he forgives how many of our sins? All, every sin. Ever have, ever will. He he paid the penalty for every sin. That means that when we die, we don't face hell, we face eternal life with the Lord. And and even more than that, God himself moves in and changes us deep down inside and then begins working on a process of changing us for good from the inside out for the rest of our lives. That's good news. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is talking to them about. But I want you to see a phrase in here he uses, or a word. Let's look again. Verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him, what's the next word? Everyone who believes. Now, my guess is that the Jewish uh, people who were there uh, were thinking, yeah, everyone, all the Jews. But there was more than just Jews there. There were Jewish converts, people who had been Gentiles, who had come to believe that the God of of the Jews was the one true God. And so they were there. And when he, when Paul says everyone, they don't hear just the Jews. They think, wait a minute. 
Me, I'm a Gentile, I become a Jew, but that also means my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my friends, my coworkers, my relatives in the next town over. Huh. Everyone. Who do you know that Jesus didn't die for? Who do you know that Jesus doesn't want to come into their life and, and give them eternal life? And who do you know? You don't know anybody like that, do you? Everyone. Everyone who is around you, everybody that you know and all the people you know of, he wants to do that. All right, so we're talking about this framework, right? So it starts where the church is and goes out. And so this is where they've gone. They've been to the Jewish synagogue, but I want you to see, actually, let's continue reading. I think that'll help us here. Let's move down to verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, so the service is over, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Because Jewish converts, Gentiles who became Jewish converts weren't right in. You know? In other words, if we were like them, we would have, you'd be all the Jewish people here, and then we'd have the Gentiles who became Jews. We'd, we'd open the doors back there and let them sit out there somewhere. Okay? So those people out there said, will you preach that to us next week? Right? Can we come in? Will you do that? So they begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, Gentile city, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Um, yeah, let's stop there. So here's, here's the next part of this, this framework, and that's that the church focuses its efforts and resources on responsive people groups as the Lord leads. Who do we preach to? You know, the Apostle Paul says, you know, what he's looking at is who do we preach to? And what we're going to see here is that he goes to the Jewish people first because Jesus was their Messiah. He was the fulfillment of Scriptures. They are the most natural place to start but after a while of this, guess what? There are not very many Jewish people who are, have not believed and aren't, they're not open anymore. They're not. So let's continue reading here. So almost the whole city came, comes together. Verse 45, but when the Jews, the ones who didn't believe, saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. They never had that big a crowd before. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And so... We are now going to focus on those who are open to the gospel. Now, do we then decide not to preach the gospel to everyone? No, we, we're still going to preach the gospel. The gospel is available always to anyone. We don't necessarily know who's going to respond or who isn't. But when we find, we, the church, missionaries, whoever, when we discover that, wow, here is a group of people who are open, who are interested, who are responding, who are getting saved. 
And we have to choose, where do we spend our time and resources? And this group just isn't responsive, and this group is. I mean, is it this kind of an easy decision at that moment? Let's go talk to the people who are open and responsive. Does that mean that we aren't ready to share the gospel with others? No, we're ready, right? Anytime. Let me give you an example of this. Um, and I, since we're on live streaming here, I don't want to, I just want to be careful I talk about this, but you guys were recently exposed to somebody whose mission felt led by God was to minister to displaced people, primarily from the Islamic world, to refugees. Why? First of all, the countries they're coming from are not open. You can try to sneak in. You can go in maybe as a businessman, and you know, but, but they find in this group of people that they are what? Open. Many, many getting saved, many being baptized, many being learned, learning and taught who will go back to their countries of origin and probably against all kinds of persecution, share the gospel. But so there's that decision. God is at work at different times in different places in different ways, and we need to be alert to that. And as we look down the line and we're in a place when we start thinking about we want to you know, do some more in missions, we need to prayerfully ask, Lord, Lord, where do you want this to go? And, and be alert to that. All right. Um, the next part of the framework. As a church, we should expect God. Wait a minute. That's, I, I got ahead of myself there. Let's look at the rest of the passage here. Verse 48, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So we see this openness among these people. Uh, the, the core of the Jewish people there, they're against it. But wow, these Gentiles here are wide open, ready to go. But let's just address just shortly here that last sentence of verse 48. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. Okay, so this sounds like, and some people would tell you, that this means that God in eternity past decided who was going to get saved and who wasn't. I'm going to save this one and this one and this one. I'm appointing these people to eternal life. I'm not appointing anybody else to eternal life, okay? Now, first of all, that's not what the scripture teaches. But it, it, this, this verse sounds, huh, kind of sounds like that a little bit, doesn't it? All right, so well, we got to figure out what does it mean to have been appointed, this word, the Greek word that's translated here, appointed, really has two main meanings. One is to assign, okay? And that's where you're assigned. Like if you went someplace, you had assigned seating, right? So, and so it's assigned to eternal life. That would sound, sound like God choosing, wouldn't it? Okay, God said, this one is going to be saved, and this one's going to be saved, and this one's going to, I'm going to save them, right? Assigned. The other thing it means is to be disposed toward something. Anybody here disposed toward chocolate ice cream? That means you have certain thoughts about chocolate ice cream, right? And, certain, and then when the opportunity comes, you're what? You're ready to take it, aren't you? Okay? So it could mean that. So when we say this idea of appointed, who's appointed? Well, those who have, are disposed toward eternal life. Now, but it's more than that. Uh, last week we had a little Greek lesson. A little Greek lesson this week. And that is that uh, in... The, our language, we have the active voice, sort of the active voice meaning, um, I scratched your back. 
I scratched your back, okay? And then we have the passive voice. My back got scratched. As <laughs> I didn't do it, it happened to me, right? Well, the Greek language has a middle voice. And the middle voice means that the person doing the action is also participating in the results of the action. And so that's why I believe the idea here is that people who have disposed themselves toward eternal life believed. They disposed themselves toward eternal life by being humble and, and being willing to admit a need. They disposed themselves toward eternal life by wanting to know the truth and loving the truth and a willingness to go with where the truth leads you. A, a willingness made to admit that you have been wrong, whatever. They were disposed toward this. And, and that's what it means for them to have been appointed because they dispose themselves toward us. And therefore, when the gospel was preached, what did they do? They were already there, weren't they? Ready. And they believed. And so that's the idea. In this group, as many as who had disposed themselves toward eternal life, they were the ones who are appointed. All right. See what happens. Verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. All right, so the opposition that came. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. All right, so what application can we make for ourselves here today? And the first one is this. As a church, we should expect God to call people to go. And we should cooperate with him in sending them. That might require sacrifice on our part. Right? Who knows what it would require of us? Um, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 9 when he said, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And, and, and so that means we should pray that God would send people out from us. Okay? The second thing, application we can make for us, is that we need to be alert to where God is working and focus our efforts and resources there. I already talked about that. This is in your personal life too, not just in... I mean, as hard as it is, do you have... And you know, I'm not asking for an open response here, but do you have family members who you would like to see come to know the Lord? maybe close friends that you'd like to see come to know the Lord, and you have shared with them, right? You've had the conversations, you've invited, and, and you know what? Now you're at the point where you just don't talk about it anymore, right? Because this is what's going on. Okay, should you be ready to share the gospel one day with them? Yeah, be ready any moment. But when you get up today and you think, who am I going to, God, who do you want me to speak to today? Most likely, you're going to have to say, God, would you bring somebody into my life who would be open? What do you think would happen if, if all of us here today would say, seriously, today, tomorrow, the next day, every, every day between now and next Sunday, we said, God, would you bring someone into my life that would be open at least to the next step, right, to hear, to be, would you bring someone in my life that I can then start to share my faith with? And it might be just someone you'd make a friend with this week. Who knows? But it's, it's God, would you direct me to people who would be open to the gospel. What do you think would happen? You think we'd all come back and said, I was so sincere and I prayed that and I meant it all week and I looked around and all that and God just didn't answer. No way. He's the one that told us to go. Is he capable of bringing someone across your path? 
And you know what that might be as much as anything? It might be just he opened your eyes to who's already there. Could be. All right. Third thing, we should expect opposition for our missions efforts, but we shouldn't let it deter us. So, so you talk to somebody and they're all bent out of shape with you. All right, I'm, who's next? <laughs> Just don't let it deter you. And then when we get consciously, purposefully, actively involved in God's mission, we will experience this verse number, was it 52? Look at it again. So they've preached, they've had opposition, uh, they have saw a lot of people saved, and then they get kicked out. Verse 52, and the disciples were really bummed about all of this. No, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God was doing something. God was at work in their lives. They had, were learning to depend on him. God, and they were discovering that God was real and that the gospel was true and that he would use them. Wow, this is exciting. Man, that changed how you get up for your day. That'll change what you think of when you lay your head on the pillow at night. That'll change what you think of when you get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and what you want to talk about and what needs to happen. It'll change everything. All right, so some action steps here as we end. First, ask God to call missionaries from our church that we can send out. Hmm. If it happens like in Acts chapter 13, maybe God will send me and Dave. I mean, he, he could. I'm getting kind of old for that, but whatever. My point is, but maybe it isn't us. Maybe it's you. And, and we never get too old. If God wants me to go, can I go? Can God help these ears that aren't here as well as they used to to learn a new language? Could he? Yeah. So, I mean, he's not limited by that if he chooses to do that. And guess what? He's not limited by whatever limitations you think you have. So let's ask God to send. But here's the deal. When you start praying, God, would you please send someone from our church? Would you call some people in our church and give them a burden to go? And, and you keep doing this, and God may be going, excuse me? Yes? It's you. What a moment that'll be in your life. And it is you some way, shape, or form. Somewhere. Whether it's next door around the world. Second action step. Ask God to work mightily in the missionaries we support. And we're going we're gonna to start getting you more information about this. You know what's going on and you can pray for them. We need God to, to you know, save people over there, don't we? Save people here. Save people over there. We need, so we need to pray for them. And third, ask God to make us more effective at executing the mission both here and around the world. That we would be effective at doing what God has given us to do as a church and as individual believers. Let's pray. Father, thank you that people were faithful to the mission that brought the gospel all the way from the time of your son to us. All the people who chose to follow you and to do what you've said. And I pray, Father, we would capture a vision that that's us. We are the ones who are going to be faithful to do what you've given us to do, to, to try to reach people, to try to help people grow as disciples, to be involved with this, to praying for missionaries and what's going on around the world, Father, so that one day when we are with you, we can meet these people who receive Christ, at least partly, 
because of our involvement. Oh God, turn us upside down and, and help us to seek you and live for you and to live out this calling that you've given us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me encourage you. Go ask, ask God today and tomorrow and the next day, God, who do you want me to begin trying to reach, okay? Go do that. You just missed.